0: Hello, I'm Pete Raby, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Caroline Flanagan, an international keynote speaker, the imposter syndrome coach and author of Be The First. Caroline, I've been really looking forward to this conversation today, and some of the stuff we've just been discussing, I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into. Now, let's talk about it. How on earth does one become an imposter syndrome coach, and where did all this well, first of all, thank
1: you so much for having me, Pete. I'm very excited to be here. Kicking off with the big question, how did I get here? So I would say by happy accident. I think that often when you are looking back and trying to trace a journey to a point, you can get a bit carried away with thinking, oh, but it all, you know, everything led to this moment. But actually, it was just a series of decisions made in the moment that just felt like decisions that felt I was compelled to make. Whether that was the decision to go into law early on in my career, the decision to leave the law at a certain point after nine years in that career, the decision to start coaching, and then the decision to commit, go all in, if you like, on imposter syndrome—a subject very dear to my heart—and imposter syndrome specifically in the law, which was a reflection of my experience. So that's the sort of the, the short answer, I guess, to your question.
0: Your background is pretty impressive, Cambridge graduate worked for some extremely well-known law firms and were clearly on a potential trajectory that many people would be highly envious about. How was the experience of that? And what was the experience going through that journey that made you not continue with that and made you kind of go, naturally, there's going to be something else that gets my time? I it can't. It doesn't seem to me like a very common route that people would 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 follow oh, yeah
1: yeah, so i'll give you an example, Pete, so when I do a lot of keynote speaking as you've you've mentioned, and i when i 'm talking about imposter syndrome, what i 'll do to set this up, set up the topic is i 'll talk about what you see, for example, on LinkedIn or what someone like Pete might say to introduce me on a podcast, mm. and that 's when you hear the Went to Cambridge, worked for Alan Overy. Clearly, got laid to the biggest global law firms, yeah. and all the various, you know, the the stuff you put on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. The shiny stuff, the great achievements. And then what I say is, this is all wonderful. This is these are all great achievements, right? Achievements I'm very very proud of, and as you've said, some might be enviable, enviable of, but they actually are just a list of things that I have done. And what they don't tell you, what you don't see is who I am. It's the person behind that the challenges that you had to overcome in order to, or that led you to making those decisions, right? So there's a, and this is so key for imposter syndrome when we look at the fact that so many outwardly confident or apparently confident, certainly high achievers, and certainly many of your audience, especially if the more senior they are on the outside, they're like, they could never have imposter syndrome. What could they possibly know about being like a fraud or thinking you shouldn't be where you are? But actually, when we look behind the list of achievements, the things that people have done, and we go to who they are and how they think about themselves in a certain environment, that's when it gets really interesting. That's when you get to know the real person. So how those two, it may seem that imposter syndrome and my list of achievements are very different things, but actually they are so intricately connected. It all makes absolute sense when you look beneath the surface.
0: Wow. The grey area in between. Mm. We see the the showroom glass doors of social media, be it private or public. We see what people want to present, but we don't yeah. see all of the stuff that yeah. goes into them having done it, but also all the stuff that is under the car bonnet, so to speak. Yeah, right. Yeah. I've got to come back to the question, though, as to why this was the area that you wanted to spend your time yeah. talking about. Fronting being a voice behind because yeah. again, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's got to have been something that made you want to do yeah, this specifically,
1: right? So, because it's quite niche, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm very
0: specific, that's what I was looking forward I'm to the an chat.
1: Imposter syndrome coach for lawyers, right? So, very specifically on imposter syndrome. So, here's what happened after nine and a half years in the law, in big law, magic circle law firms, and I left, I felt compelled to leave. And do something more. I didn't know what that was. So it was a leap of faith. It was a trusting in myself that I could figure it out, which was a very interesting thing, given that it was, I was also battling that whole imposter syndrome thing. But honestly, I thought at the time, probably when I've left the law, I won't have imposter syndrome anymore. It was something that I'd experienced. Mm. But the interesting thing is while I was a lawyer, I didn't know that the sort of messy collection of feelings I had when I was sitting in a meeting trying to get the words out of my mouth, just the internal complete meltdown I was having physiologically underneath the surface, I didn't know that that was a thing and that there was a name for it, that it was a very specific form of self-doubt. So when I left, I didn't know I'd been aware of those feelings and having to overcome them, battle them to get ahead. But it was only then when I started coaching and, of course, the reading and the world that that exposed me to, did I come across this fascinating term, imposter syndrome. And when I first read the description of it, which we can get into, like what exactly is it, I couldn't believe it. Like It was just one of those defining moments where suddenly everything makes sense. Not the reason why I had imposter syndrome, but just that there was a name for that collection of feelings and that it was something very specific. So feeling like a fraud, very specific word there. It's not like, oh, doubting yourself or Mm. thinking, oh, I haven't done this before. It's that word fraud. Certain of your listeners, they'll hear that or will have heard that and they'd be like, oh my gosh, yes. Or, you know, thinking your success, everything you've achieved is down to luck. Again, very specific. Mm. And then the third element, think of that feeling that any minute now you're going to be found out, that horrible sort of sword of Damocles type thing that's following you around. And really, no, I got away with it. I've got away with it so far, but this time I'm definitely going to be found out. So after leaving the law, me stumbling upon that description, the name for that, all I could think was, wow, oh my gosh, it's actually a thing. It was so like validating to have a name for it. And I thought, right, if there's a name for it, I can figure this out. It means out there somewhere, right, there's a solution for it, right? There's a way to overcome it. And then what started happening was in my coaching. So I was coaching lawyers, professionals, bankers, still like in that sort of financial world. And I started sharing some of the stories of just my experiences of what I had previously thought was self-doubt, but then understood was imposter syndrome. It really resonated I was working a lot with women at the time and they were in the law, slightly less so now, we're talking about 15 years ago, not that many women rising through ranks of big law firms, Yeah, very few partners. And all you saw actually were the very few who did make it to partnership, leaving very quickly, particularly after starting a family. So imposter syndrome was one of those themes. One theme I touched on and shared stories about, my own stories, really gained traction Mm. and suddenly I think I'm coaching on like whole career stuff career development and leadership and more general stuff but it was like this kind of I don't know if you imagine a plant and one branch just takes off right has a life of its own and just wants to do its own thing and be its own thing and I'll be honest with you I resisted it for a while I thought yeah imposter syndrome it's part of it but what about everything else Mm. and then at a certain point the penny started to drop. The more stories I shared, the more I realized how uniquely placed I was mm. to talk about imposter syndrome, and I started to, in my own journey of understanding it, unpick like why did I have imposter syndrome? Where did it started? and the more I shared those stories, the bigger the more the momentum and Now here we are it 's like there 's enough i 'm seeing more and more it's resonating with people they want to understand it it's happening so much more common than you realize yeah and i've thrown i think it's the sweet spot this is what it is Pete. the sweet spot between my journey my experience my stories and like my experience, my professional experience in the professional world that i have sort of grown up in where does
0: it come from? Why does it exist? Is this just terrible mm. parenting? <laughs> <laughs> well, we could get into the whole thing about yeah, it. Both yeah, of us yeah. are parents, so we yeah, have to be yeah. careful what
1: we say. Yeah, right. So a key thing, which you mentioned, which is, you know, where does it come from? But you've obviously been academic, done very well. How can those two things coexist? Yeah, And they're intricately related. I would say for sure Most people who suffer the most extreme imposter syndrome are high achievers. It's often imposter syndrome that drives the high achievement. Not always, but one of the key identifiers, I would say, in terms of behaviors of someone who has imposter syndrome is this, like it's never enough, right? So they'll have a goal, they'll achieve a success, you know, a fleeting celebration Mm -hmm. or recognition, but it's immediately on to the next thing. And there's just an urgency and a need around like the next achievement it's and and to disqualify the past achievement right so just to put in context, of course not all high achievers suffer from imposter syndrome, but you will find a lot of imposter syndrome in sorry imposter syndrome in a lot of high achievers because there's a drive there. remember the fear of being found out yeah. I was talking about there is that that fear can drive really quite extraordinary
0: achievement we were having a conversation bizarrely about two hours ago with one of my technology leaders and actually i've thought for years that the people that often are the most outwardly confident Mm. lots of the times that matches up with successful actually that confidence is extremely shallow Extremely mm. brittle, vulnerable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is, it's kind of the reason that they peacock so much. And I've really, I've, I recognise my own behaviour in this enormously over the years. Where actually, it's the time where you're feeling the least secure, where you feel the need to chat about it, or you're acting in mm. a certain way. And this happens a lot in sales or yeah. recruitment-related sectors an awful lot. But as you say, I think a lot of it is driving the performance yeah. that gets you to where you want to get to. It's yeah. kind of that almost the anxiousness that, oh should I be where I am? What am I going to do about it? Right, keep working yeah. hard, keep working hard. That can drive the top end level of performance, but.
1: And often, uh, yeah. like by the time you get to that high higher performance level, it's not it's not that it's conscious, right? It's not mm. that you're actually going right. Well, I need to do this in order to prove myself and feel that I'm good enough. Often, it's ingrained. It started long ago. So for me, Pete, I had the like extraordinary experience of going at the age of six. I had my sixth birthday at a boarding school where I was the only black child in an all white school, and that was. I was going to say life changing at the age of six. Lots of things are life changing, but that was has just been instrumental, obviously, informing my identity. But the point is, I I can almost pinpoint to the day my first experience of imposter syndrome. And I think it's I love this uh, the idea that that was 1978. Do not calculate how old I am, <laughs> or your pretty close. Audience audiences <laughs> will be working that out. So it's 1978. I'm sick. I turned six. I'm the only black child in an all white, kind of middle class, quite privileged boarding school. I come from a very low social economic background. And that's the year when doctors Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, who are the US psychologists who coined the term imposter syndrome, that's the year. Wow. That was the start, isn't it
0: though? Wow.
1: (laughs) I love that. So I've appropriated that as part of my story, right? So, like, they literally invented the term for me. But to get back to your point about the connection between high achievement and imposter syndrome, so being in that environment for sure felt like the imposter. This is the 1970s. I was treated like the imposter. I mean, the teachers who never called me by my name, they would call me lady of the jungle. You know, everyone else was John, Sarah and Peter. I was a lady of the jungle over there. Why do you never speak up in class? You know, shocking, but unforgettable. And as a result, like very, like huge awareness of being an imposter. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. All of those types of things in that experience. So a very real Quite tangible experience of the outside, right? And one of the things I learned, I mean, I loved school, by the way, let's be clear, it was for sure the making of me, and I threw myself into it. And I think one of the things I learned early on was the connection between achievement and recognition and people, like, I really enjoyed people being wrong about me, showing people that they were wrong about me, challenging their perceptions and their beliefs and their prejudices, right? So I'm growing up. I'm doing this, I'm making this connection, and I literally I won everything. <laughs> I got the top grades of everything. Of course, right? Mm. This was me learning to succeed, learning to survive showing, showing people in a world, right? Mm. Um, getting people to pay attention to me for the right or better reasons that felt better yeah. than the other reasons they were paying attention to me. Yeah. And therefore, coming back to then, you know, much further on in your career when you're looking at being a high achiever your audience, high achievers, it's not that in that moment they're going, oh, I need to get up to the next level. What's the next thing for me? They're not consciously necessarily thinking I'm being driven by this need, but it may have been ingrained from a much
0: earlier time. That will have some thought-provoking going (laughs) on out there. I hope so. Absolutely will have. Um, From your experience, is there a big percentage difference in gender to imposter syndrome
1: i would say admit it (laughs) well that's the different thing so it's probably the most frequently asked question still at my talks is uh, do men uh, men suffer from imposter syndrome and typically in the audience it's about 80 percent women in the audience um and this is law firm so i'll be talking about imposter syndrome 80 percent of the audience will be women and the common question will be do men suffer from it and you know I'll often say men who are in here depending on the audience right but I might throw the question open to the men right who are in the room who are there for a reason the perception is that it's a very gender specific that it's women typically my experience tells me because what I tend to do is I will poll my audience before I go into a talk so the survey will go out the law firm will send it out to all their people and what I'll get is almost 50-50. Yeah. But then those who show so an anonymous survey, yeah. we're seeing it looking, it looks equally relevant. But then those who show up in the room, willing to talk about it, be seen to entertain it, that changes the dynamic enormously.
0: That doesn't surprise me at all. I've definitely encountered it. Three of us who ran our business for 10 plus years as co-directors and founders, the year of the lockdown it was like right we'll go into specific roles now we need to be at our best to be able to go through these times i was made ceo there and i would definitely say the role changes i've had multiple instances of imposter syndrome really going, am i good enough for this job yeah. am, I, am i the right person for the job mm. so things don't go well Carl, that was all your fault you can oh, i've definitely had yeah quite a bit of that yeah the bit i'd be really interested to know because so therefore the 50 50 thing doesn't and outwardly i'm very confident yeah, so I'm not overly surprised that yeah. that is actually how you see it with your data. The bit, the interesting thing that where my brain goes down its rabbit hole <laughs> is going with the individual consultation work that you've done. Yeah, and of course they want an individual. Of course they are. Are there differences in the way that the majority or a more typical case of male imposter syndrome versus female imposter syndrome? Are there any trends that you've seen? Oh, that's a great question.
1: If I were to identify a difference, I think it would be the playing down of it. So, and I'm literally thinking of recent coaching conversations with a particular man and most recently with a particular woman and this being representative. The difference is a willingness to get into the messiness of it in a conversation with a woman i'm not and I'm not generalizing just based in my on my experience as opposed to i what I hear a lot from a male client would be, "Yeah, but it's not a big deal, that's just you know the way it is, and well, I'm not going to make a thing of it like there's a desire to be very practical to stay practical and not it's not that I diagnose at all in my coaching sessions, but the sort of understanding part of it, which is really important when we talk about turning imposter syndrome into a strength, which is one of the things I teach. The, the understanding element and the getting to know yourself better and more deeply in order to lead from what you know about yourself, there's slightly, I have to work that angle a little bit more, I would say, with the men I've coached as opposed to with the women who are much more curious about getting to know themselves better.
0: I, I talk about this a lot in the last couple of years. It's that big word awareness. Oh, yeah. There's so much of what we're talking about. Yeah. It's been aware of yourself, where it comes from, what, what's made you wired that mm. way, but also how it ultimately shouldn't prevent you from mm. making the right career choices or scaring yourself a little mm. bit. Because it's the well-known, especially from our sector of, of recruitment and staffing, that piece of research came out that showed that women had to see to apply for a job they had to tick nine out of 10 boxes to even apply for something where a man would see two of the things and go, let's give that a go. Because it was over such a large study. That's such a fascinating insight into the psyche behind Mm. women and their careers versus men and their careers and hundreds of years of society being set up in a male-dominated way, which naturally is going to take a long time to sadly, or maybe not, hopefully, mm. um, to, to be able to level out, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm not overly surprised about that, but it's fascinating that it's curious yeah. for women as opposed to in, in your experience.
1: Yeah, and at that point where, where you look at that curiosity, where that curiosity leads is effectively self-questioning for, in a way that doesn't serve you. So there's the awareness, self-questioning that does serve you, where it's about actually does my understanding of this enable for example this is always helpful talking stories like does my understanding of being you know what it meant to be the only black people in an all-white school twice to go to Cambridge when there were I think I was one of literally about five in the whole university of black students at that time like my understanding of all <laughs> of that really serves me when I walk into a room full of barristers and there are all these portraits on the wall of white men and they're all judges and all of that. And my brain, because it's a human brain, wants to go, what? Is what uh, what i doing here? What are you doing here? And all the other words my brain will offer me, right? <laughs> yeah. And it will be, you know, the emergency survival response: get out of here! You shouldn't be here! Like <laughs> yeah, a possible, yeah, yeah. like leg it. It's very useful that I have an understanding of who I am. I've had that, I've had that curiosity. I've had that understanding that allows me to go. And, and this is the beautiful switch that I can make, which is from, oh, I'm the only person in the room, I shouldn't be here. Like places like this, this is something my mum said to me years and years ago, I remember the moment so clearly, you know, places like that don't want people like us. That expression, which you also hear and is the experience and belief of, of a lot of minority ethnic talent, unfortunately, it's like places like this don't want people like me for me now, the awareness I have, right, and the understanding of this subject, which is also why I can commit my whole career to it at this stage, is I can make in an instant the way I experience that is places like this need people like me. But a reframe that's not an artificial switch, it comes from a depth of understanding like, well, hang on a minute. What does that say about me if this was my journey? And Pete, my... Examples are kind of, and I say this in my talks. They're really <laughs> a colleague of mine who also does some talking. She says, uh, "Oh, it's so annoying! I haven't got any interesting stories. I haven't got any of the adversity stories that you have. So I'm not a very good speaker. And you've got all the juicy stories, you know, <laughs> the lady, yeah. of the jungle story, and the you know all of this stuff. And it's true. I have all these quite dramatic examples and stories to tell around imposter syndrome and the experience of it." But for a lot of people, and maybe the majority of your listeners, it's not something as stark as you're the only black person in a white room, or you're the only one from a low social economic group in a room full of wealthy or middle class. It could literally just be a new job, and it's not. So there's no hierarchy of experience so much as just there is just that commonality of Mm. how you feel and think about yourself in an environment that Mm. makes you undervalue your achievements and underestimate your ability and your potential.
0: I'm a big believer in (laughs) prevention is better than cure. And what feels like a a natural start in place for people to think about, to me, would be how do people go about, you know, how should professionals go about the awareness building of themselves? Because what you just did there... Mm. It's what a lot of talented people do. They illustrate something that actually won't be recognisable for a lot of people. The person listening who goes, "Oh, blimey!" Imagine being that aware, where she's able mm. to reframe all those bloody awful things that mm. happened and go, "Now I'm going to make a change in this." Yeah, that's that's a great gift. Yeah, and it comes from understanding what's happened. Yeah. And wanting to do something about it—that's yeah. about four or five levels away from a yeah, lot of people yeah. ever get
1: to. Yeah, right. How can
0: professionals mm. begin the building up of the awareness of where yeah. they're impossible? Of course, by working with people such as yeah. yourself. But yeah, wh- wh- what should they? Where do, do you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So yeah, and that's—it's so important. So there are two sides to this. There's the the stories I've been telling, the way I. Like to say, I'm leading in this field by being the example of what's possible, so the example of imposter syndrome feels really rubbish. Could have you literally hiding in a cave or rather more realistically um under your duvet and not wanting to face the world right? That's the worst case scenario of it. How does that very same experience and set of feelings become something that can make you like can build your confidence and which you've like that you refer to that you would never change about yourself. So I've, I'm modeling that journey so that like really to inspire in terms of what's possible, but to answer your question, like, okay, well, what does that mean for me? Doesn't, I don't spend my whole life focusing on imposter syndrome, really understanding what do I do in my real life? And the first thing I will say is, and this is the message I say is imposter syndrome isn't the villain you think it is. A lot of where people get stuck, what causes a lot of the compounding misery around feeling you're not good enough or you're going to be found out is the resistance to it. I shouldn't feel like this. So there's a feeling really rubbish and I can't speak up in a meeting because I'm suddenly having a crisis of confidence. I shouldn't be feeling like this. Everybody else is, oh, I have imposter syndrome. I'm stuck, but I worked really hard to get here. So being stuck in the thick of it, resisting it, that I would say is the very first thing you could do literally right now after listening to this episode is literally when it comes up, just allow it, just be curious about it. And the simple thought, ah, I wonder if that's my imposter syndrome is immediately very calming, like taking yourself out of that resistance, fighting it, avoiding it, right? That's the first thing I would do an awareness of what it is. And on that point, and this can often be The thing that moves people along very quickly is, okay, well, let's get really specific about when it comes up. Yeah. I talk about, well, we talked about those three, I call them the classic signs, right? So those are the ones that Clance and Imes, who are the original kind of psychologists who who coined the term. So feeling like a fraud, success down to luck, thinking you're going to be found out. Those are the three classic signs, but not everybody has those exact thoughts wouldn't necessarily resonate with everyone. And I get people say to me, but I actually I don't feel, I don't think my success is down to like I worked really hard for this. So then I say, and this is the thing, it's like, well, like we want the awareness, right, of what's going on at a particular moment. How do you actually feel? Okay. So even if you're not having those thoughts about fraud and all of that, do you feel like you're going to be there's a definite feeling And you're smiling. I'm guessing it's like that feeling of dread or unnerving unnerving, and you can feel it. I talk a lot about identifying where you feel it in your body. Again, great awareness. Oh, I've got that horrible knot in my stomach, my throat seizing up. So it may be that you how you experience imposter syndrome is at the feeling level, Mm. okay? Good to know, right? Good to know when you're about to walk on a stage and talk to your people or you have to do a client pitch. Ah, right, it's imposter syndrome. Good to know. Another way you might experience it, if it's not at the feeling level, and this is perhaps where most of my lawyers, I might not catch them on the thought side of fraud. I might not catch them on the what's going on in your body. But where I do catch them is, And I say, okay, so let's look at like, what are you doing at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning? Right. And you're sitting there and you've got this document you have to get out and you've been sitting on it for like four days and it's now really urgent. Like what's going on for you? Right. And we look at behaviors. So to the point about, well, where do I start with this work and with this awareness, how are you showing up at work? Mm-hmm. Right. Are you? And I sort of have classified there's so many different signs, if you like. And I've sort of classified them, grouped because them, it's just easier to remember and, and come back to. So like, are you an like an overworker? So it's the perfectionist. It's the one that's like, it's never enough, you're overworking. That constant need, success after success, it's never enough. So overworking. Mm-hmm. Are you the overthinker? Spinning, can't make a decision, I'm um an R. Ah like spinning and spinning consciously, sort of constantly anxious. So there's overworking, overthinking, playing small is another one, which is any time there's the, when you should be putting yourself forward for that opportunity, that new role, but you come up with all these reasons, right? Why, oh no, well, I'm not quite there. I'm only 90% cent qualified. I need that extra box and I can't take that. So I call that sort of thing, anything where you're slightly hiding from being seen more, playing small and then the last one is self-sabotage which is where you are as soon as you start to make progress instead of gaining confidence from your progress you basically pull yourself down Mm. so i've given you a sort of tried to summarize those four behaviors when you get into those and you start to really recognize how imposter syndrome is showing up for you in a very real moment to moment basis at work it's like ah okay i know this is just what my brain does in this situation yeah it's my imposter syndrome. Nothing has gone wrong. Remember, we're not resisting it, right? And then we're like, okay, how do I solve for what's in front of
0: me? Keep it specific. Um, I read a book a few years ago called Who Not How. Oh, I, yes. Right? Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Which I just love the premise that, because there's a lot of people listening, that you've been not dissimilar to yourself. They've been good at school. They've been mm. sports team captains. They've been head of houses. They're mm. kind of like, they're used, they're used to winning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But yet this kind of area. Now some people might be extremely good at self-solving or mm-hmm. self coming up with the solutions. Yeah. But I'm the more the, the 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 older I get, the more I realise that there's something great about getting more we'll call it more experience, not older.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> <It's>, that.
0: <laughs> is that the more experience we get, the more that I realise that the confidence in you of youth is just that. You kind of have that. Oh, I can take over the world, and yeah. I've, I'm going to do it all myself, and I've got broad shoulders, and I win everything. So, yeah. of course, especially, I recognise that in myself and a lot of male friends. Absolutely, yeah. you kind of have that. Whereas something like this, the more senior you get, the more these feelings might jump in. Mm. Whatever you've done in your life, and the reality is, you know, I've worked with an executive coach last couple of years, done therapy for the first time, yeah, and only when you get into these levels of experts trained academically qualified mm. not you know not some randomly self-created life coach but yeah. people that really know human psychology know yeah. what they're doing yeah is there any other way of being able to get past or past might be mm. exactly the wrong phrase or being able to manage imposter syndrome mm. appropriately without the use of an external person I guess is the question I'm asking
1: without the use of an external person I'm going to say 100% yes I mean the wow okay look well where my brain wants to go immediately I mean you mentioned a book who not how right so already like I'm a voracious reader you obviously read as well so I think well okay you don't need an external person reading is amazing right there is so much that you can get from reading from just I'm a great believer in okay there's the books you read and how that impacts the way you think there's the company you keep and I'd say that's really, really important. I've been thinking a lot about this recently, in part because I have teenage boys now. I talk to them a lot about the company they keep and what they choose and how you, you are the company you keep. So I would really encourage also that you can get caught in a spiral of negativity and this is the way things are and I will never change. And, and that can be reinforced by your environment or fed by your, from your environment. Or you can spend more time in the company of, or listening to, or reading, the kind of voices and messaging that is about your flawed humanity. Like what I I love to call my clients, like perfectly human, and the fact like being a human and all the emotions and the roller coaster of what life is, but how much value there is in the imperfect human and in you uniquely. And I think, yeah, you don't need a. You know, to do my coaching program or pay a therapist or a coach. I work with a coach. I think I believe in the value of that. So if you can do it, then I would wholeheartedly recommend you work with the right person. But there are so many other ways, and it's all about getting a different perspective, different to the one that you have yourself and the same thoughts and patterns that you have internally. So any there's so many different other
0: inputs you can have. I, I don't know. I guess it's a challenge for anyone listening that's never had an actual external coach mm. to be able to, you know, your friends are your friends. Yeah. And some of those some of those people might have I mean family is the greatest example. Oh yeah. we've all got a sibling or a <laughs> or a cousin <laughs> who have tried to give advice to yeah. for twenty plus years have yeah. they listened, of course they bloody haven't but mm-hmm. the reality is yeah. Therefore, someone external, someone, someone even better, yeah. sometimes that you've actually paid your own money yes. for, yes. means that you're going to weirdly value that stranger's opinion yeah. and their professionalism so much more. So 100%. that
1: hundred percent.
0: So that might be one of those things. If people are listening, going, "Oh, yeah, imposter syndrome is regular for me." Yeah. Have you actually done anything about it? Yeah. Because it could be the thing, and that's the question I can't wait to get onto now. What companies and leaders mm. can do to help support individuals, yeah. but maybe that will be the bit where you go, have you actually tried to deal with this? Because it could be the thing that's holding you back a little more than you realize.
1: Oh, for sure. Look, 100%. What I would say is every time make the choice to work with somebody to support you. Right. And it comes back to the who, not how we can get, we can do pretty well on our own yeah. and your audience will have done very, very well on their own. But actually it's about how much further I talk about going further, faster with less stress and more fun. Actually, when you start involving, Sounds good. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I mean, what's not to love, yeah. but like that is the point about, well, you could do it on your own and get there eventually, but actually by having the right, bringing in the right people, who are going to support you in the areas where you haven't cracked it yet, right? Mm. You know, and that's the awareness piece, you know the areas where you're holding yourself back, Mm. that's going to be the game changer for you. Mm. So I would always recommend work with a coach. That would always be my recommendation. And I work with a coach and I'm doing all of this work, right? Because I have a human brain and there's stuff I have blind spots. I have ways I hold myself back. So always, if you can do it, if you can find the money, you find the right person, work with a coach. But what I don't want is for somebody to be out there saying, oh, but I can't go and find a coach and just start working with them. That means I'll never be able to solve this problem, in which case there are so many other those other ways which we talked about that give you access to this sort of more helpful thinking around imposter syndrome that's going to move you
0: forward. Almost impossible that people listening don't go, well, there is definitely someone working in my remit reporting mm. into me yeah. who isn't plagued with imposter syndrome and I can see it holds them yeah. back. Yeah. What's the first few steps that person to, should take yeah. to be able to help alleviate mm. some of the some of the weighing down that this, that this creates?
1: Yeah. So for me, the most important thing is to lead by example. Okay. So it's about un- debunking the myths around high achievement and what it takes to achieve and how it seems like it's easy for other people. They yeah. haven't had failures. They haven't had moments of self-doubt or as you've said moments when you're like oh should i be here so lead by example in terms of talking openly about the messy journey that we take to success you know another book i i love mm. which maybe you, you know of is the messy middle i can't remember the the author and i loved that book because it talked about how you know we hear the success story we hear about the you know the big brands that have done so well and we don't see the really messy bit in the middle where, where like they're close like that um shoe dog the nike um that's a fantastic Belter. book and you you know and you think how close they came to like failing and going under you don't see any of that when you just see nike everywhere and all four of your children just obsessed with like shoes you know? same with apple same with, same apple. with microsoft yeah. right so leading by example I think is absolutely key. Tell stories of your biggest struggles, like have and have an awareness of it. I think we can have quite a short memory about some success sometimes. Forget that some things were really, really hard, and we had those moments when uh, we were unsure it, it wasn't the right decision, or we questioned, and we can forget some of those gory details. I know I do often because they were too gory. I don't want to revisit them, but they have use. They serve a purpose in keeping you authentic about your journey and it's so valuable for those who
0: are looking up to you to see that that's been your journey so it's sharing your story sharing your but story. some people would even have it so crippling where yeah but you can still you. like yeah. all right well that's but yeah. but you're still so good yeah. they'll, they'll dismiss that almost yeah. as well, yes. that's unrelatable for me yeah what happens next yeah what should happen next? yeah
1: i'd say and so part of leadership of course is bringing your people along inspiring your people leading the way um there's a lot of and quite rightly so positive reinforcement okay praise for things done um, it gets a little bit back to I think it's growth mindset stuff where the focus what we've typically done in the past is focus on the achievement, focus on the result. Well done, you did this really well. And what I would say to your leader who has the the person they want to bring along, they can see imposters in their own them is focus on like praise the person, mm. praise the skill, praise the um, you the that, resource. You the yeah, yeah, right, mm-hmm. or like literally that. You're, you know, what you did in that moment when none of us knew what to do and, or you were put on the spot and you could have just clammed up, but you said this, or you didn't say that, but you thought about it and you came back to me afterwards. Like you as the person to give positive reinforcement in that person, I think is the strongest, the most powerful way to build someone out because it then doesn't depend on the next achievement. What I see a lot in the legal industry is like heavy depends on external validation and attachment to the most recent result. I'm only as good as my last deal. You hear that a lot. Yeah. Or, oh, if they would just tell me I'm doing a good job. That is lovely only as long as it keeps happening. What we want and what you want in those you lead is to build a confidence that is in their capability and who they are, which means it's their ability to respond to whatever comes up, not,
0: oh, well, They've done this in the past. Is there also got to be some exploration around where their validation comes from? Like people that have got, I'd imagine imposter syndrome comes from a scale to one to ten where some people can barely get out of bed some morning because they're just like, oh, I'm going to fuck up, whatever, compared to someone that says every now and then, Yes. oh that feels unpleasant yeah. I'm maybe i'm doing something new here yeah there are some people that just don't like praise and there are some people that mm. don't allow praises like, oh i was lucky or you yes. know, whatever it may be yeah. but as i say i do wonder if an exploration of what areas that an individual allows themselves to feel good about yeah. a job well done yeah needs to be done more with people that have a really almost weird yeah. kinds of um, imposter syndrome because um because maybe then you can help realize mm. what it what behavior that you've got to display to help them build confidence um so as a coach we work a lot
1: with thoughts it's all thoughts right all starts with thoughts if you want to change an outcome or a result you, you go to the behavior right so if i want to do better at school then i'm going to work harder right simplest example or if i want to impress my boss then i'm going to i don't know i'll volunteer to lead that presentation or that pitch okay so we look at okay i want to create a specific result. Let me look at what I can do. And the beautiful thing why coaching is so unique and incredible is what we do is we look at the all behavior and all the results come from an underlying thought, right? So if you have the thought, I'm no, I'm useless at I'm useless at speaking in front of a crowd. You can do as many different courses, and uh, learn as many different things. You can be told or given as much advice as you want and implement that. But as long as you still have that thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just not the kind of person who could speak to an audience. Then you're always going to get a result where you're not the kind of person who feels you can speak to an audience. Yeah. What you want to do is go in at the thought level, so we call it thought work. Okay, and this. Uh, it Would be my answer to your question about, well, how do we help the person who's actually really tied up and finding it very crippling having imposter It's Like, let's look at the thoughts they're having on a day to day basis or in a particular moment. Like, what's going through your brain right now? Oh, I'm thinking I'm useless at this mm-hmm. and I'm never going to be any good. And one of the things I do is I say, you know what? No wonder you're not able to speak if that's the thought mm-hmm. that's playing is in your brain when really you're doing that? that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I used to think like that. How do you want to think about yourself in front of an audience? And that could be a massive gap, right? Between where someone is and when they are. But there's this beautiful thing called bridging thoughts where you can actually just find something that brings you a little bit further along that could literally just be how about you're someone who would like to speak in front of an audience? Like that's a massive shift in thinking from I'll never be able to speak in front of an audience or publicly to. I would really like to be that person. Yeah. And it just opens a little, like, tiny crack in that kind of conviction and belief about who you think you are. And it just allows room then for more. So, then as the leader, I would say now, how I, because that used to be me, right? I could never, ever speak like the thought would.
0: It's, send it's, me into it's genuinely it. quite tough to believe. <laughs> if you don't mind me I've saying. I've spoken quite long. <laughs> no, but like in the best possible, way, like, you seem like the most natural personality ever. So, like, well,
1: it's an example I love because it was my journey, right, from being just like I have to say, just unable to prise my lips open, just so overcome by panic, to where I am now, where it's like, oh, but like I was born for this. Like, literally, I have a thought that I was born to speak to big rooms full of people and audiences, and I haven't waited to prove that to myself before I believe it I've thought myself there does that make sense yeah totally I've had those stepping stones I've crept my thoughts along and that's what coaching has enabled and allowed me
0: to do it's love it and, and I love it the most because from my experience of coaching so far that seems to be from speaking to you speak to my own coach speak to other coaches the most common denominator is where do we actually want to be with this? Let's identify it, write it down. What does it yeah. look and feel like? And then we're just going to build a bridge. Of how are going to get the there? Like, and it's I I love how you labeled that. Yeah. Now. I think that's awesome. I think there'll be a lot of people going, ooh, light, <laughs> light bulb moment. Brilliant. <laughs> We've talked about it from the individual side, yourself. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it from the leading others perspective of mm-hmm. others under you. The final question I'd like to ask is: If you're in a role like myself, you're CEO of a business, how can companies? make sure that they don't allow this imposter syndrome which is mm. incredibly common and again i haven't asked you for any data yet but i'd imagine mm. the data is big in relation to how many people mm. suffer from imposter syndrome yeah. it must be a big percentage how do we can make sure that we create environments that don't get in the way of the advancing of the talent yeah that should be? yeah that's an easy question
1: yeah exactly no problem yeah <laughs> i'll wrap up later. really quickly yeah, 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 yeah. um look that one word diversity Right. So. For me, imposter syndrome, if I think about my own experience and the understanding, right, where does it come from? It all comes down to difference, right? So mm-hmm. if you think about, and a- anyone who's listening, I need to think about right now, when you experience imposter syndrome, it's all about that particular environment. You'll be the same person and experience imposter syndrome, say, in a work environment, but put you in a pub with your mates and you're not sitting there necessarily. I mean, sometimes it happens socially, but... With your mates or your siblings, you're not sitting there in the thick of your imposter syndrome thinking, oh, I feel like a fraud, I shouldn't be here, right? So it's very contextual. And the point about that context is you perceive or experience your own difference in that environment. Okay. It's an experience of difference. So, my big thing and why I'm, I guess you could say, almost attached to imposter syndrome, because I'm the other side, I can see the potential for what it could be if we were all able to recognize. Use imposter syndrome as a, almost an invitation to understand how we are different, how we are unique, why that makes us particularly valuable. Okay? So not talking about if you said to me, Caroline, we've we've solved it, we can wipe imposter syndrome from the face of the earth, I'd be like, no. Please don't, because when we set aside the emotional like struggle of it, okay, we're going to put that aside. We talked about those very specific day to day things we do to work on it, and the need to. Understand. If we put aside the negative emotion of it and the experience of it, yeah, and what we're left with is my brain is aware there's something different about me in this room. All that's happened is we've made different mean less than, and made different feel like it's wrong, and that's partly, you know, that's human adaptive evolutionary stuff where being part of a group was really important. Otherwise, it was kind of instant death. Like That is normal. Any sense of being different from the group, of course, we experience that as a bad thing. Now, in our current state, our evolved state, if we have that sense of being different from the group and that elevating us, meaning, ah, that's the value I bring because I'm not... The same as everybody in this room the fact that i'm different in this way and there are a million different ways in which we can be different that is the key to how i'm adding value in this room so i love <laughs> i know
0: so <It's> reprogramming <laughs> it's a reprogramming of the way that we think about the scenarios that we find ourselves in why
1: not what who said that being the only You know, and I'm going to give some kind of more general examples of clients I've worked with who suffer imposter syndrome who can trace it back to just being, you know, they feel like they're the oldest one on the team, right? I've had, I've done a talk where somebody said, Well, when you're the oldest one on the team, you know, isn't it worse for me than it is for everybody else? And then I've looked at somebody who's like clearly younger and gone, I don't know, how's your imposter syndrome? She's like, It's much worse for me. I'm the youngest one, right? There are lots of different ways you can experience it. And whatever that experience is, whatever your difference is, what if. Like your awareness of that is exactly what adds value to the organization, right? So I say, what if the most exciting thing about you, right, was how different you were? Oh my gosh, that's like interesting. What if the most greatest potential your organization has, if you're a CEO, is to celebrate the imposter syndrome in the room, where imposter syndrome means just the difference in the room? And isn't that what we're trying to do with diversity? Aren't we trying to get as many different experiences around the table, as many different viewpoints brought to a conversation or brought to solve a problem. So I'm kind of mm. jumping ahead, but in terms of, okay, what do I do as an organization to ensure that imposter syndrome isn't holding back my talent, right? Holding us back. Yeah. It's like we celebrate difference.
0: Yeah, I was, I was going to say the the bit that I wanted to add on is kind of covered in the celebration bit, it, but it's about the continual communication
1: mm, internally
0: yeah. of the different journeys. Yes. And the continue. different socioeconomic backgrounds and everything yeah. else that's wonderful and different about you. There's yeah. not many leaders that aren't going, oh, I want a really great diverse team, but actually is it celebrated? Some businesses do yeah. it brilliantly. I think we're doing the right job of it, but is it, often enough, like look at their journey, look at their journey, look at their journey, reach out, reach out, reach out. Do you have events where those people get to mingle with other people? I love what you said about the first week or the first month or the first year and like kind of talk to you about that because I'm feeling something similar right now. If you don't set up the mingling part, if you don't set up the the storytelling part, because the stories, like I was saying to you Mm. prior to the recording, the stories that really get people – listening and interested right so
1: true that's yeah. so good it's the continued the commitment to it the commitment to and it. yeah the the structures that ensure mm. that it's happening mm. all of the time so much so that it's part of the language you're seeing it and hearing it just becomes the norm it's almost like a filter whereby everything is experienced and seen through the value of the diversity right that's right. been brought to it i love that continued absolutely continuous
0: Yeah, I think that's been uh, wonderfully thought-provoking, Caroline, as I I knew it would be. Is there anything else reading or listening-wise that you think people who want to know more, think about it more, Mm. should be reading, listening to?
1: Yeah, they should totally be reading and listening to my stuff. Right, so read (laughs) (laughs) – I mean, i am going to be honest. What an easy
0: way to – I know, well, I
1: used to go, oh, well, you know, you could read this and you could read that, and then, you know, I just cut to the chase. So read my book, which is Be the First. Yeah. It's very specifically about the experience of being an ethnic minority and succeeding in a white corporate world. Yeah. Um, at least 50% of the people who write to me, having read this book, aren't ethnic minorities at all, but nice. experience imposter syndrome. So I want to say it's for everybody. Very, very useful for leaders nice. who want to understand the experience. So some of your listeners will be like, eh, it's not really me. I'm not really getting it. But no, as you say. But oh, they will were. Be. Some, yeah. So mm. definitely read that. Nice. And I have a podcast called uh, Legal Imposters and Caroline Fl- Flanagan podcast. So two podcasts where I talk cool. about imposter syndrome. Not one, but two, stuff. Caroline. I know. Well, I've stopped. The, the Caroline Flanagan one is complete uh, and the Legal Imposters one continues. But I am going to be doing some Be the First interviews as well on the podcast. So lots of stuff. Just follow me. Get all the goods. Well, I will be for <laughs> sure from this point
0: on. It's one of the great things about doing a conversation each week with someone highly interested in Carolina. i feel like i become instantly wiser immediately after which of course is isn't the case
1: as i but am talking to you it's please. just
0: it's just the wising up and it's just the idea sharing it's just the kind oh, of understanding fantastic. about what happens it's it's absolutely awesome and a great privilege to be able to do so um if there was one learn you'd want our listeners to take away in relation to this really interesting and important subject what, mm. would, it, what would it be
1: imposter syndrome is not the villain you think it is
0: I like that. Do you know what? That was one of my ones, actually, that was taken away. Caroline, absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. There will be loads that people would have taken away. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and share with others in your network. Caroline, thanks so much again for coming in.
1: Thank you for having me. I love this conversation. Thanks, Pete.